Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 127. I'm Jeremy, and as always, I'm joined this week with my two co-hosts, Jimbo Baggins of CoolStuffInc.com and GatheringMagic.com, and Edward Winnington of UnnamedGameshop.com. How are you guys doing this week? Are you trying to single-handedly rip Gathering Magic out of its grave and give it new life? You're like trying to like weekend at Bernie's Gathering Magic literally every <laughs> week. It's totally worth it, though. And Ed, how are you doing? Uh, I haven't played still, so not great. Hmm. That's not good. Uh, this week, we actually have stuff to talk about. It's amazing. Last week, we didn't really have any topics of relevance. This week, we do. Let's start off with the standard challenger decks. Uh, these were hinted at on Twitter as coming back. What do you guys think will be some of the reprints? Um, for reference, we saw Chandra and Hazaret in some of the decks last year. And we saw Walking Ballista, which is shrugged off that reprint and just continue to go, I guess, ballistic, you could say, lately. Uh, Jim, as someone who pays attention to Standard, what would you expect to see in uh, these decks? This seems like the easiest place for them to put Carnage, Tyrant. Like, I would be very surprised if there's no deck that 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 has it. I'm pretty sure there's going to be like some green-black Explorer-esque kind of deck, and it'll probably have some number of Carnage Tyrants and maybe some number of Vivian Reeds. Um, but that's kind of the... Like, I haven't put a ton of thought into it. I'm trying to write my article about it this week. So this is going to help me, obviously, this discussion. But I'm not sure what other decks exist right now that are primarily made up of Ixalan and Dominaria cards that they would want to reprint. Uh, but Carnage Tyrant seems like the easiest thing for them to go for. Ed? Uh, I think Teferi is probably a shoe-in uh, for one of them. The thing that interests me is <clears throat> if you look at the decks last year, um, if I remember uh, what was there was black green, the black green counters deck that Walking Blissa was in, blue white, the Purchase Suns deck, mono red. What was the last one? Wasn't it an energy deck? I thought it was like a blue black energy deck, but I might be wrong. Control. Okay. Aggro, uh, black green counters. Yep. And it may have been energy. Yeah. Okay. To make my point, um, I'm kind of curious to see at what at what time they actually come out with the deck list, um, because it felt like some of those decks were Mardu vehicles. Thank you, Sergio. Mardu vehicles. It felt like some of those decks were had been established as it were um whereas now it doesn't feel like it really makes sense with some of the decks that we currently have in standard for them to go back and make a challenger deck version of it right if we look at the most popular decks in standard right now um we have like black green gold card mid-range which is a deck that is fairly heavy in ravnica cards there's we obviously have uh Shade Light Ranger, Merfolk, Branch Walker, those types of things that kind of, that sort of fill it out. But most of the cards in the decks right now are mostly uh, Guilds of Ravnica cards. And uh, Guilds of Ravnica cards mainly. Whereas the types of cards that they want to be focusing for, the re uh, for Challenger decks, obviously, are cards that are more focused 
uh, on rotating. They'll be rotating soon, and it seems like they have more incentive to be reprinting those cards because it gives people kind of a more of an easier gateway to get into standard at this point, even though standard that they're looking at is going to be rotating soon. So that's the part that kind of confused me. Like, for example, we don't really have a blue-white control deck in standard right now. We will have one once Ravnica Allegiance comes out, and there will be a blue-white control deck, but in its current form, it doesn't really exist without uh, Ravnica Allegiance cards, which is why it's kind of interesting to me to see if, like, a card like Teferi would actually be shown for reprint or what its home would be like. So I have mixed feelings. Challenger decks obviously did well. They are relatively disproportionate. Obviously the mono red one was great because Hazret and Chandra were the breadwinners in standard at the time. They made up the most value. Um, so, and whereas the, I think the blue white one was far and away the worst one. That was the one that stores just always had laying around that didn't sell because they just didn't have a ton of value in it. So it'll be interesting to see how Wizards changes things up for this iteration of the Challenger decks. So I'm looking at the most popular decks in Standard right now, and there's a red-white aggro deck, which is most expensive cards in it are History of Benalia and Legion's Landing and uh, a Johnny Adversary of Tyrants in the sideboard. So like... The bulk of that deck is made up of Dominaria and Ixalan cards. There's a Mono Blue Tempo deck, but that doesn't really have that many rares. The most expensive cards in the deck are like $3, and that's like not particularly interesting. Uh, there's the Golgari deck that plays Jade Light Ranger, Carnage, Tyrant, Vivian, Reed, and Vraska's Contempt, I guess you can count. Those are all pretty expensive. Uh, there's the Jeskai Control deck. But that's like basically just four Teferis and like a bunch of cards that don't matter. Like most of them are not particularly expensive. And then after that, it's like mostly cards that are made up of, of new stuff, or you could just do the mono red deck again. Like you can make like a mono red, like mid rangey deck. You have a Goblin Chain Whirler. Chain Whirler. Um, you have Risk Factor, which is a little bit of money. Runaway Steamkin, I think. Oh, no, that's from Ravnica. I don't know. Like, I think that they can figure out, like, four different decks that they can put into this, but I'm not really even sure that they really want to reprint Teferi. I think they that's a, that's a good thing they have going there as far as, like, a standard card that isn't going to bomb out in value when it rotates because people play it in modern. So I don't know if they're necessarily going to want to reprint it right away. Did they do any plays? No, they did Chandra. They did one Chandra in the deck, right? Yeah. In, in the mono red deck. Yep. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe they put like one Teferi in there, but like then it's kind of a, a tease. I don't even know if that really helps anyone. I think they do one Teferi because it's free money, and one copy is not going to really destroy the price at rotation. It'll still go back up at the same rate. Right, yeah. Some of the decks had a lot more Mythic Rares than other decks. Like, I'm pretty sure the Mono Red deck only had one Hazret and one Chandra, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at the deck list right now. Like, the uh, the Vehicle deck had four um, Heart of Kirin, yeah. which was pretty important. The um, Blue-White deck had only one Settle of the Wreckage, because it was a newer card at the time. Um, the Black-Green deck had four or three Verterous Gear Hulks. Like, 
I guess they're not afraid to put mythic rares into this, but I'm not sure that they're going to put like two or even three Teferis into into any of these decks. The only one I could see that we haven't talked about is maybe Selesnya Tokens, because it feels like that deck will always sell well uh, to casuals, like post-rotation and all that. Yeah, but I, I, I agree with you that it's definitely a, a deck that can appeal to a wide variety of people, but are you are you think they're really going to do that and put, like, for March of the Multitudes in this? Like, they're not particularly no, expensive. No, but, they only, but... Need, they only need to do one March of the Multitudes, like one Temple Garden, one Tristani, and then something else, and, like, that's a deck for them. Mm, I don't know. Like, the Challenger decks, for the most part, were most of a functioning deck. Like, they, did, they definitely played cards that were, like, off-meta at the time, but they played a pretty good number of things that you would just like, you have to have in that deck, right? Like the mono red deck had a bunch of four ofs of all their, uh, you know, aggressive creatures. So it wasn't like it was too far off of what like uh, a higher tier non um, pre-con deck would be. Right. Yep. You're completely correct. Um, anything else we want to touch on with the challenger decks before we move on? No, I think we need to still wait and see um, how much. Well, did they did they say if there was four of them? I don't remember. I just remember them confirming on Twitter that they are going to do something. Okay, yeah, I did see a tweet from uh, Gavin Verhey about it, but I don't remember seeing if there's uh, any more information. They come out in April, so we're still more than a month away. So I, I don't know if I would even be that worried about what's in them. Yeah. Ed? I wonder if they'll take information from uh, <clears throat> the Mythic Championship in Cleveland to see what to see what standard decks come out of it, as it were. A lot of it is obviously speculation. There's obviously a lot of high-risk targets to be reprinted. Lyra, History of Benalia, a lot of the Dominaria cards that were expensive. And then... But again, it's it's hard to see what the deck list will actually look like. Because again, I, in my opinion, I don't think Celestia Tokens is necessarily going to be a good target. Like it would it would make sense with the reprints that you had mentioned, uh, one Tristan, one Temple Garden, one Martial Multitudes, etc. But that loses a lot of equity for them to use those cards in the future, which is why I'm inclined to think that they would focus more heavily on decks that already exist and cards that are due to rotate mainly from Ixlon Block, Dominaria, and Core 19 forward. So if you're looking to kind of stay ahead of the curve, I would suggest figuring out which cards are the most high risk and either just getting out of them right now before they start to plummet too hard. A lot of them are, have, already have Lyra is down from its high, History of Benalia is already down from its high. But if these cards are due to come out in uh, the the Challenger decks, there's basically no hope for any of these cards recovered in price mainly because they have no real eternal application other than Teferi. Yep. And moving on a bit to the worst format modern, um, we had the star city open this weekend and 16% of day two was Arclight Phoenix decks, which people are saying was the same percentage of Splinter twin before it got banned. I don't know if they banned anything from that deck because I don't follow modern that closely. But something to note is that we're getting another Tron hate card in um, Ravnica Allegiance slash KCI hate. 
And it's going to be interesting to see what that does to modern prices for Tron pieces specifically, as well as if the meta shapes around something that isn't necessarily so Arclight Phoenix heavy. Because I don't know what deck beats Arclight Phoenix, but if our listeners do, that's probably where you should put some money. Uh, Rest in Peace, as most people already know by now, is just gone absolutely insane in price. There's very few copies left on TCG Player. Uh, It's already rebounded to its pre-reprint price, and it could easily go higher. But the card basically doesn't exist in vendors' hands right now, so it's something to keep an eye on. I think that some of the reason why people are playing the Phoenix deck is just because it's so accessible. Uh, Most of the cards in the deck are not particularly expensive outside of the Scalding Tarns, and the deck only plays one mountain, so like if you really want to like budget it up, you can play Flooded Strands or, or Polluted Deltas instead. Um, and then, like the the Arclight Phoenixes themselves are available in the standard trade binder. So, I'm not sure that this is like the deck is too good kind of problem. More like the accessibility of the cards is just very high, which makes it easy to play them. And I, I think that the deck is too new to really like be worried about something getting banned out of it. I think it's just one kind of one of those things in modern where everyone is just uh, wanting to play the new thing, as it were. There hasn't really been any major changes to modern. This is one of the more recent innovations, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it, in terms of something that's doing something different than what already exists in modern, right? Like most times, most sets, people are looking at adjusting one or two cards, something. <clears throat> something new comes out and they that's a slight improvement over a previous card but for the most part modern has been relatively static for a while and this is again just something different i think people are eager to try it <clears throat> it does uh it does have a reasonable amount of play it's i should i don't want to say easy but it is relatively straightforward to play from what i was watching on camera um and because Arclight Phoenix is one of those things where, because people already own it, and, uh, if people already are playing like Is It Phoenix in Standard, it's not a huge transition to be able to play in Modern, especially if you already own some uh, staples. As if you already played Storm in some previous iteration, or you played something that already had fetch lands in it, and your uh, your buy in into playing this deck is a few like two hundred dollars at most probably because once you take out was it arclight phoenix uh scalding tarn and some Uh, cyber like surgical attraction there really isn't that much to the deck right the the most expensive card after arclight phoenix and scalding tarn is manamorphose okay manamorphose so again if you had that as a rollover from from playing Storm or something, then you have most of that complete. Metamorphose, uh, that's that's an expensive one. But other than that, Steam Vents is probably next, right? We're probably looking at sub-10 dollar cards from here on out. Uh yeah, for the most well, no, uh Thing in the Ice is the most expensive card after that. But they're not particularly expensive either. But and, yeah, like a third of the deck's value is in Scalding Turn. Yeah. So I think that probably is what naturally would just draw a lot of people to it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily any more busted than, I don't know, playing Team or Battle Rage on your 
death shadow for lethal and one shot type thing. So I, I think percentage wise, I think it's more indicative that people are wanting to play something new rather than the deck is unreasonably broken, especially because it's coming off of the heels of winning Magic Fest Oakland last week. And again, it's just it's just more reason for people to want to play whatever's new and looks the most flashy. Yeah, I feel like Chalice is really good against that deck, but I haven't really seen that many Chalice decks have a good matchup against it. It just feels like Chalice on one is pretty tough for the Phoenix deck to beat. Well, part of the issue is that you don't actually have to resolve any spells for the Phoenixes to come back. You just have to cast them. So Chalice is probably not as good as people think it is, but I don't think that this deck has a particularly fast clock. So if you just like play Infect or Burn or something with just a faster Goldfish time, you could probably beat it. But I think right now people are playing to beat like Crackline Ironworks decks and this deck and maybe not playing the ultra fast, you know, disruption light uh, combo decks that they could be playing. I don't know. I, I don't play a ton of modern anymore. Most of what I see is based on what people say, you know, a, a good way to gauge the room, I guess, is to see, you know, what are pros saying about the decks are they largely in agreement that you know oh this 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 card or this deck is too too good and you know there's not a lot of ways to beat it or are they saying that like the format's fine all you have to do is play this and this and this and then you'll do better in the next you know next tournament but if there's a dissenting voice it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad but or or there's there's risk there but you know you can get a feel from the room what what people are saying about these kinds of things and then decide whether or not you want to invest more or less in those decks in particular. And speaking of investing, did anyone notice Mana Crypt's now 180? Like all the sub whatever stuff got sucked up. So just a heads up. Hopefully people caught that in time because that card just keeps going up. Um, Jim, do you want to get into our credit winner of the week? Absolutely. And since they called you out specifically by name and apparently you know them, uh, Jeremy, would you do us the honors? I of don't even the pick question? the questions. We're prefacing that. This is all Jim. He's just like, oh, this is a good question. I I think it's a question that we haven't answered before, and it's a question that maybe some people are thinking about. So I think it's always good to try to get a large breadth of questions and try to cover all of the topics when we can. All right, so Paul Michalukas asks, I hope you guys aren't lactose intolerant because I got a layered question just like a parfait. Get it? That's for Jeremy. So some friends and I are going to our first Grand Prix, Grand Prix Memphis, and I was wondering what I could expect and maybe some pointers for buying some legacy and high-end EDH staples. With the time of the year, should my focus for cards like Gaia's Cradle, or should my focus be for cards like Gaia's Cradle and Savannah and other duels? And then you don't ask anything else in that question, Paul. And then the second part, you say, should I hit vendors or see if there are players around that would take cash since I have no value trades? And then in parentheses, or is this considered to be a bad move to the vendors that pay to be at that event? Keep up the quality content. Ed, I know you have a lot to say on this subject, so let it rip. Be, by the way, Jeremy, BM is not bad move. It's bad manners is bad what that move. means. No, it's big definitely mood. not. It's it means not, big mood. <laughs> it's, not, it's not big mood either. In 2019, it's big mood. Ed? No. 
so the first part of this is I'll answer number two first because that one's the most straightforward. I would take a look take a look at the rules that CFPE posts on their event website. They're very explicit about doing uh, about not <clears throat> doing cash trade cash transactions if you're not a vendor. This is something that they're definitely very vigilant about. Uh, you have staff walking around that are on the lookout for this. You have judges looking uh, that are on the lookout for this um, when they're walking around and just looking at and seeing what people are doing. Don't do this. This is something that will very No, there's a be. loophole. Uh, let's not encourage this. Um, the loophole <laughs> is if they ask you, tell them Ed said it was okay. And then uh, that's Ed gets thrown out instead of you. That's not a loophole. And also, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Continue, Ed. Uh, this is something that will get you kicked out of the hall very quickly. Um, a lot of people are incentivized to report it, either just like even other players will do it because it's something where if they're engaging in it and they get caught, they'll also be uh, they'll all, they'll also get punished as well, likely kicked out of the hall. Um, uh, so with that out of the way, again, I think if you have if you have some specific legacy and was well, high end EDH staples in mind. Uh, make a shopping list, be on the lookout, know what you want specifically and how much you're willing to pay. Uh, just do a walk around the room, take a look at all the different vendors. There's there's definitely a lot to take in because not every vendor will have everything, not every, not every vendor will have everything out. Um, so I would, I would make a shopping list, take a quick look around the room, see what prices are, see what's comparable, see what vendors have the best selection, ask if they do a trade-in bonus, see what buy lists are like. <clears throat> and then from there, you can uh, probably start to break down. For example, if some vendor has a reasonable trade-in option, you can look at trading in your cards that you don't need. You take the trade bump, and that way you can minimize the amount of actual cash you're spending on cards. Of course, uh, generally people that have more aggressive prices generally don't offer as much of a trade bump. so. You'll just have to kind of take that in stride. Um, but again, I would just do a little preparation on your own part. Have in mind, for example, you have Guy's Cradle. Know what TCG is. Know what they are on Facebook uh, for various conditions. Be cognizant of this is how much I want to pay. Either budget yourself or know, you know, this is what you want to be spending. This is the type of condition you're looking for. And try and stay relatively... Um, stringent to that and just, like, and just stick to that strategy as opposed to just going out and just trying to, you know, the first, don't buy from the first vendor you see. Mainly, even if you think their price is good and you're happy paying that price, it doesn't hurt to do more shopping. Um, there's a lot of ways to stretch your dollar um, at an event. So I would just take it slow and just have a plan. That's probably how you maximize money without without having the regret of Oh, I wish I bought from this vendor instead. This vendor was ten percent cheaper than the first vendor I looked at, and that's generally one of the things you can most efficiently do. That'll probably save you the most money at a GP. You can always haggle too, just not on ten dollar cards. On stuff that's harder for vendors to move, they don't mind haggling, especially when like they're running low on cash or stuff like that. Um, but like, don't go up to someone and try to haggle on a cyclonic rift because it's just not going to be worth their time because they know they can sell that. But if you're like looking at a damaged uh, dual land or like a sign cradle, 
you can generally negotiate a bit where at the minimum you can say, Hey, this vendor has it for this price. Will you match them or beat it? And most of the time they'll say yes, if you're paying cash. So just common sense bargaining tactics. Most, most of the time works. Yeah, I, I agree with basically everything that was said here. Um, the only thing I would recommend is that if you have the chance, I would recommend trying to purchase cards at the beginning of the Magic Fest, so on the Friday before events start firing, or on late on Sunday after all of the events are over. Generally speaking, that's when I found the best deals, which were, you know, vendors would rather sell their cards than go home with them. That's where... Uh, or sorry, at the end of the at the end of the event, they'd rather sell them than take them home. At the beginning of the event was where they have everything in stock. Um, basically, yeah, just do your homework. Come with a price in mind that you want to pay. Uh, know that you probably are going to find it for less than TCG player because people that don't own stores sell on TCG player and they have no overhead and they don't have any reason to sell it for, you know less than or more than you know the bare minimum so you may pay more on an event but you can do things like if you're buying duels for example you can inspect them in person and be able to make sure you know this is the exact condition that you want some people are a little bit more lax some people are not about conditions so like you might buy a car that's lp on tcg player and it might arrive and it might be mp and you'll be mad so that can't happen in person so if it pay, if it ends up costing a little bit more, it's really not that big a deal. My only counterpoint is that a lot of vendors sell on Facebook now and social media. So they actually go below TCG on their prices sometimes. And what you can do is you can message them on social media and say, hey, I want this. Can I pick it up at the event once I make sure the condition's okay? And a lot of vendors are okay with that. Um, if, it, if it's a vendor that doesn't have the power because they're not working for themselves and they're working for, say, a bigger company, they may not have the leeway to be able to do that. But for the smaller vendors that sell themselves on social media or on TCG, you may have an easier time convincing them. But yep. don't go up to Channel Fireball and ask for them to beat TCG because they just won't do it. Right. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always some other things to consider, like our sponsor, CoolStuffing.com, has a... Uh, buy list bump, so they'll give you more in-store credit if you choose to get that. And then there's also the customer rewards program, which will cut down on the prices when you order through the website. So if you don't need it right away and you just want to offload a bunch of cards and think about buying something else later, um, you know, obviously they're our sponsor and they're not paying me specifically to say this, but I have had good experiences, um, you know, getting cool stuffing store credit because you can use it for things other than magic cards. You can buy board games, you can buy sleeves. Uh, you can get a entire chat box full of shield because Jeremy thinks that you're, you're selling it too hard, but uh, they're my LGS. So I appreciate if you support them. Um, but I'm just letting you know, the options are out there for you. Anything else you want to add Ed? Cause this is his first grand prix ever. Uh, I actually haven't looked at the vendor list for um, Memphis yet. That's a little ways away. So I actually don't know who at all is going to be there. Um, once I look at that, Paul, I can probably reach out to you and make some suggestions on who to talk to and uh, what vendors you might want to take a look at first. <clears throat> It'll As be the one Ed is working at, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of providing a non-biased opinion, um, I've dealt with cool stuff 
a fair amount. I've they've always had like very reasonable buy list offers on certain things, and obviously they're not the no one vendor is going to offer you high prices across the board. There's going to be vendors that will give you more in certain categories, less in other categories, and vice versa. I've always been happy to, go, to deal with cool stuff. I deal with them almost every event I'm at. So, and generally for the most part, I can I'm. I always see things that I'm okay taking with the 30% bump factored in um, at every show. And the fact that, like Jim said, uh, the fact that you can just roll over the credit. Um, if you do want to take the credit, they'll just give you a code and then you can use that code to redeem through their online store or whatever. It just makes it fairly attractive, especially if you're not so heavily invested in the magic that you do want to <clears throat> deal in either other TCGs or board games. The fact that you have access to, uh, to be able to turn their magic cards into other other things is definitely very appealing for cool stuff. All right, Jim, how can Paul claim his credit this week? And where can people leave questions for next week? Because we actually got a lot of questions. Yes, Paul, send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com and I will get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If you'd like to win next week, please leave a question on the coolstuffinc.com page that will go up on Tuesday, the J January 15th. Uh, and then if you your question gets selected, uh, you could win $25 of coolstuffing.com store credit the following week. All right, what do we want to talk about now? Ultimate Masters again? Uh, we can if you'd like to. Do you have any insights into Ultimate Masters? All that stuff seems like drop again. They're dropping again. I was to say they all look like they were super expensive. Some of the casual stuff hasn't moved that much. You can get a foil and tomb for like a dollar or two dollars more than the normal on TCG. Uh, that's always the case. that's always the case with foils in master sets, though. The fact yeah. that there's the fact that there's no scarcity makes it hard to sell someone on a foil card when you're getting twenty four foils per box. Yeah. Wasn't that wasn't you one of the ones that also got a masterpiece? No, right? I don't remember. I just know that foil hierarchs are fifty bucks on like everywhere. They're and not. normal ones are forty five. Pretty sure. There, there's an Amon kit masterpiece. There's no uh UMA master oh it was reanimate that's the one that they did. Oh yeah, I thought you were talking about Noble Hierarch. I was super confused. Oh no no no. I was talking about Entomb still. I don't have a foil okay. in Tomb, so I'm, uh, you know, just looking. Oh, they're less than $10. Maybe I'll get one. Noble Hierarch is kind of an anomaly, though. It has uh, the Conflux foil, which you could get out of the uh, Alara block all foil packs. So that kind of drives the price down on foils. It was a Modern Masters 2 foil. It was an RPTQ foil, and it's also a box topper. Um, Oh, it's also yeah, a judge, foil judge well. promo. Yeah, yeah, the, the judge, judge promo is sweet. That's the best one. And, and it has the UMA box topper. Or did you say that one? I'm sorry. I, I did say that one. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of downward pressure on uh, Noble Heart foils in particular. So that might not be the best example to use. But again, for the most part, even if you look at things like Dark Depths, for example, uh, it has. This is this. Uh, second time it's been reprinted, you can get foils in the really, really horrendous from the vault lore. Um, you can get the original foils, which are monstrously expensive, or you can get uh, 
the box topper. But even then, you know, the Dark Depths, the Dark Depths Yome set foil is not much, much more expensive than the non-foil, especially when you compare how expensive the uh, cold snap foil is to the non-foil. Yeah, do we want to touch on the new Judge promos? I forgot if we talked about that last week. We did not because they came out, I think, like on Thursday or Friday. Okay. Ed? Uh, Rissic Study and what was the other one? Uh, Food Chain. Food Chain. Food Chain. Uh, Rissic Study is much, much, much better than Food Chain, but Food Chain probably has a higher ceiling because it's. Uh, it was. It's been much more expensive than Rhystic Study. That being said, they came out roughly the same era in Mercadian Mass Block. Rhystic Study was an uncommon versus a rare for Food Chain, but Rhystic Study has the Commander's Arsenal foiling. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Food Chain has any other iteration of it. Nope. Someone help me. Okay. Um, the fact that Food Chain does see some outlier play in Legacy might. Probably push the price up a little bit. I don't think that is... uh yes, and EDH. Um I don't think Legacy will be a huge determining factor, probably because that deck is not particularly good in Legacy, but there are people who do play it and it is um it's a fairly cute deck. But I think a big part of these cards are uh driven by EDH demand. I think Rhystic Sight just sees a little bit too much play in order uh, to uh, make this foil very, very affordable uh, because the Commanded Arsenal foil is not particularly good nor easy to find. And the Rhystic Study foils from Nemesis, I think, are quite expensive as well. So I do think because this is the option people would look at if they do want foils, um, this is probably going to be the foil that is most accessible to them, and as a result, I do think it'll be fairly expensive. Food chain, kind of the same problem. The original foil is quite expensive as well, but proportionally, it just sees far, far less play than uh, Rhystic Study does. So what are your thoughts overall if you had to buy one? Uh, I would probably go in on the Rhystic Studies way more than the food chain. Like, Food Chain it looks, in theory, really good, and then you play with it, and you're like, man, this is the most miserable card I've ever played with. It, it combos with a couple of commanders, which makes it particularly attractive in those decks, but it's pretty narrow on what it can do. Yeah, I think Rhystic Study is going to be a really good moneymaker. I think we're going to see a really low spread on this card because a lot of people want this card for a lot of different formats, and it's not that expensive to pick up a Judge promo. Yeah, I mean, the regular... Prophecy ones are still like non foils are still like $15 or something, right? Yep. How much is a regular Rhystic study? Like a not 15. damaged one. Yeah, so they're $15 regularly. The I'm just get I'm just guesstimating. The commander's arsenal ones are like 44. What is a what is a prophecy foil Rhystic study? Like a trillion Probably dollars? 60 at least would be my guess. Uh, near mint foil. There's only one listed on TCG player, and it's a hundred dollars. So those though basically don't exist. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, look for like L search for LP foils. Generally, in my experience, I personally, um, 
when I list cards on TCG player, I don't ever list a foil as near mint, mainly because TCG grades particularly strict on foils. And, and the buyer wants to see the foil in person. Yeah, they would want to see the foil in person. So generally, LP foils is where I would be at, and I would usually gauge that as more accurate price on foils. I mean, it's not that much different. Uh, uh, LP, the cheapest LP prophecy foil is seventy four dollars. So sixty after fees or whatever, close enough. Yeah. So I would I would expect that the judge promo will be anywhere between fifty and sixty five. That's yep. unreasonable. Maybe Buy like these all day for thirty five forty and just flip them. It, well, if you're if you're like me and you just want to play with them, if you see one for fifty, that's probably a good deal. Uh, if you really want to wait, they do get released usually more than in more than one wave. So, I don't know, if you wait nine months uh, on the third wave, I think they go every quarter as they do the the uh, exemplar stuff every quarter, and then you can get them a little bit cheaper. But I'm not sure that you're really going to save all that much money because this is a pretty high demand card. Even some judges might even I mean, sell them. Like judges are the like first people to have played commander i believe i believe it was created by judges for judges to play so it would not surprise me if a lot of judges actually want to keep this card rather than selling it makes sense want to move into pick of the week uh i guess so ed uh i don't actually have a pick of the week yet come back what to happened me. to i'm always prepared i'm <clears throat> I'm not prepared right now. That's all. Jim, go first. Why do I have to go first? That's not very nice. All right. Um, so I don't. I. It's really hard because we're so close to a new set release that like some of this stuff is going to get very expensive and some of the stuff is going to go nowhere. And I don't know. I don't know what cards are going to go up and what cards are going to go down. The fact that there's also the announcement of the the um, the challenger decks is like another reason why I'm very concerned. So uh, I've been watching a lot of standard videos because new standard formats coming soon. Uh, people want to know what decks are good, what people are brewing with, and whatever. I've been watching Todd Anderson play a bunch of different Wilderness Reclamation decks, which is that green enchantment that untaps all your lands. So far, it feels like to me, wherever that deck ends up being, if it's good, it's going to play four search for its Kanta. Now, this is going to, like, if you're going to buy this with the intention of reselling them, I probably sell them very quickly as soon as they're more money than what you paid for them. This is a kind of card that could be in a challenger deck not too long from now, but it could still be very expensive if people start playing four searchers cantas in their decks. It wasn't that far, you know, it wasn't that long ago where they where these were like $25, $30 each. So my pick this week is search for Canta. If that's a kind of card that you're willing to or you're you're likely to play. Uh, even if you're not likely to play it, I think it's pretty high on the list of things that people are going to want to be trying to play. So there's going to be probably an out pretty soon to flip them very quickly. I only don't like it because it could get reprinted in the event deck. Right. I mean, this is this is under the assumption that you know that it could get reprinted so you can't be lazy if it gets expensive. Yeah. Like you have to you have to be on top of it. Right now they're 
the lowest price they've almost ever been, like exception of like when they first came out. And they're like $15. I don't know that it gets less than this in the short term unless it gets reprinted, but we don't know what cards are in those decks. So this is this is the the risk you take. Ed? No, I think I mentioned it before. Um, Noel, Hyde, Noel Hyde Ferox is one that I'm keeping my eye on. Running uh, it back again. It already doubled just off hype. Uh... I think there's more room for this card to grow. It's, I, I think, like Jim said, this card is, um, well, not, not like Jim said, but to touch on this, this card is fairly insulated for being reprinted in the Challenger decks. It's just too new of a card. It doesn't really make sense to put a Mythic into a Challenger deck, especially one that's from Guilds of Ravnica. Um, the drawback on this, the you can't cast non-creature spell clause, Basically, it's non-existent. You do have a few other um, cards, especially in a, like a girl aggro deck that doesn't necessarily care about playing non-creature spells. It's fairly big. I don't think the uh, the discard clause is necessarily relevant, but I think this is a type of card where if you're just looking for a set to spend ten dollars or fifteen dollars or whatever and get your place out of the way now. Um, in the event that doesn't get good, you can probably just relist and break even or whatever. Um, I think there's like a few other cards that also fall in this category. Doom Whisper is one. That card is quite a bit down from its high when Guilds of Ravnica first came out. I think as a whole, we're kind of at the point where we're it's not really safe to invest into Rivals of Ixalan, Ixalan type cards anymore because the good ones stand a chance of getting reprinted. And it's fairly unlikely that any particular card from those blocks, if they haven't spiked up in price already, will spike. And even if they do spike, you don't really have a huge turnaround time to take advantage of it because cards that will be good and standard in a month and a half, for example, you're really looking at basically the end of its life in standard um, in regards to rotation. Uh, for any card that is pre-Guilds of Ravnica. So I think turning ahead, I would start looking at Guilds of Ravnica-type cards, especially ones that do have a lot of potential. Tristani is kind of bottomed out. Aurelia was one of those cards that was big in the Boros Angels deck. That card is basically bottomed out. Uh, these are the types of cards that I think I would be wanting to buy up as time goes forward, mainly because this is the time you're going to be catching them at their low as opposed to in a few months when these cards will start to trend upwards again as supply on them dries up. That's a good one. Um, I had my pick. Oh, yeah. Battle Bond lands have fallen about 50% in value since we saw a second wave. Um, you can get the red green ones for like three fifty to four dollars now. This is all TCG low slash completed eBay sales. Uh, the blue black ones down to like five dollars as well. I think the hype for these has gone away significantly because a lot of players that needed these got these. But over time, the, these can only go up, and they've fallen back to where they were before the hype sort of took off, and everyone was trying to get them at the same time. And you saw like. 75% on most bios just to get these in because they were selling so fast. Um, this is something that over time they should just trend back up as more and more EDH players look to get these lands. So this is something that I wouldn't necessarily put cash into. The one exception is there are a lot of vendors that 
are just starting to use TCG that we've talked about before, that they put shipping at 99 cents, which means their cards are underpriced when you buy multiple play sets. A good example is there was someone listing Eternal Witnesses for $2 each with a 99 cent shipping fee, and they had like 30 of them because they were trying to compete with the $3 Eternal Witness price that everyone else is offering. Um, if you see someone do that with Battlebound lands because they opened a case and they think they know how to MTG finance, you should take advantage of that. But other than that, if you have store credit sitting around or just see them in a binder, this is probably a good way to just get essentially free money. You'd be trading into these and you'd expect to see the number that you're trading into these now on a BIOS in the future in a couple of years. Because I don't see these getting reprinted in Commander this year at the very least, and they should appreciate even if they do get reprinted in commander this year for the next nine months pretty well so this just seems like another easy brainer low risk where you won't really make money but it'll prevent you from uh having to pay more in the future thoughts on that jim uh i don't know like i don't really like those lands because they don't have basic land types but i know a lot of people do so i'm torn like I know a lot of people play them. I don't think that they're very good, but what I think doesn't matter because what matters is whether or not people will buy them. And I think that people will, and I think that you're right. It's probably a good idea to get them. Ed? There definitely is a fair amount of demand for those lands. I think it's... I, it's another very affordable dual land, I guess. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. In, uh, in the context of people who do want these types of things for EDH. Um, buy lists on them at Grand Prix have been very, very competitive. It does show that a lot of vendors, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of vendors churn through them very quickly. So, and the spread is not that big, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think in terms of what Jeremy said, it's probably fairly accurate in that they will start to trend upwards and anyone who does open them, which I have a hard time believing that many people will be opening Battle Bond from here on out, basically, because once uh, so many hits, so many sets had passed since the initial printing of Battle Bond, I think the second print, print run didn't really do much to uh, help with demand, mainly because people were just on, I think by the time the second uh, reprint had dropped, people were on to, I think it was like core 19. I think it was past core 19 at that point, to be honest. Um, I really don't see much more supply of this hitting the market. And I think it's one of those things where prices will just continue to trend upwards. So I do like Jeremy's pick here. Well, you don't see that that often. Where can people find you guys? I'm at nwin13 on Twitter. And you guys can see me in... Uh, New Jersey in two weeks, two weeks. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Cool Stuff Inc. every other week. And you can find me in the uh, surprisingly warm state of Florida. My name is Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will also be at GP Joyzy in two weeks with Ed, though I probably won't be on site that much. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, with our sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com, and, of course, live on YouTube every week. Uh, thanks for listening, and as always, have a great one, and bye bye